God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. So we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 19. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw, they all complained, saying, He, that is Jesus, has has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And then Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, as they heard these things... He spoke another parable to them because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So I've included verse 11 here because it's the bridge between the first 10 verses and verse 12. We're going to read on here in just a moment. But just a quick word on Zacchaeus. It is a very um, contrasting story to the rich young ruler. We see they're both rich. I mean, if you contrast verse verse 2 of chapter 19 with verse 23 of 18... They're both rich. These events happen just within days of each other. And like the rich young ruler, he came to justify himself before Jesus, but Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus. And of course, he climbed up the tree, and it's a well-known story only recorded for us here in Luke's gospel. And Jesus calls him out by name, and I'm sure that got Zacchaeus' attention. And we read that Zacchaeus received him joyfully. And we know, like, if you just think just in general terms, how it says, like, for example, in the Gospel of John, that as many as received Christ, he gave them the right to become the children of God. And there is that receiving element. We can say we believe in the Lord or we believe in God, but there's that responsibility to have personal response. And Zacchaeus, it says, it's very interesting, the terminology is he, he received him. He, he responded to that, and he received Christ to come into his life and come to his house and it was a both it was a, a both way thing because Jesus initiated, but Zacchaeus responded and received him and joyfully, right? And the Lord, he said he came that we might have joy and our joy would be full. And the things he spoke to the apostles, passed on to the church throughout the entire age of the church, is that we would have joy. Not to be confused with happiness, but joy. And Zacchaeus, this was the the best day of his life. There's no question about that. He he suddenly becomes very generous and but people are questioning what, what Jesus is doing because it says there in verse 6 that when he received him with joy that the people complained. 
and they're making judgments on Jesus, but then they don't even know what really is going to happen. I mean, Zacchaeus responds by giving half of his wealth away, like I've given half to the poor. And yeah, I think it's just a good little word for us that we want to be really slow to judgment on what God's doing in different people's lives. And if it seems like he's more gracious with them than with us, just hold your peace. There's always more than what we think we know for anything God's doing in our life and other people's lives. And, And we don't want to just come to quick conclusions like, well, why would the Lord do that? Or how come he did that for them, but didn't do this for me? Or, or just in general, like, why is he doing that for them? It's like, we just need to exhale and give, let God be true and every man a liar. You know, let God do what he wants to do. And I think how foolish those people who pass judgment on Jesus for meeting Zacchaeus where he was at, coming to his house, I wonder if they felt foolish when they saw suddenly this guy who no one liked because he ripped everybody off. He worked for the Romans. He took tax money for Rome and he took extra money for himself. I wonder what people thought when he just suddenly says, I'll give half to the poor. And if I've restored, if I've taken anything, I'll restore it fourfold. So now Zacchaeus is telling us that he paid attention in little kid synagogue. Because when you study the law, when you make restitution, it's fourfold. So it's like he went to children's ministry, you know, like it was there all along. It's not like Zacchaeus didn't know what it was right. He just chose to do what was wrong, which is generally the problem for all of us. Most of us know it's right. Our own conscience will hold us accountable. But he, from what he declares here, he's saying from within his own heart, he knows what he'd been needing to do. You see, when he says, if I've done this, and of course he had, he says, I'll restore fourfold. It's like his own conscience already told him what, you, what he needed to do to make things right with the Lord. He just needed that invitation from the Lord. It's the goodness of the Lord that brings a man or a woman to repentance. He just needed to know that the Lord was good. He just needed to know that he could be forgiven. He just needed to look at the Savior and respond. And when the moment Jesus looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I mean, it was just like, it was like a Billy Graham crusade in the 70s. I mean, when those people are going forward, just all so happy in Spokane and all the different places. That it's, it's that moment. It's a harvest crusade in, in August, right? It's just that, that moment when you realize by the Holy Spirit, for someone who's not given their life to the Lord, that there is a place for repentance. There's a place for faith. There's a place to be forgiven. And there's a place to start all over again. Because if anyone being Christ, a new creation and old things have passed away. There's, a, there's the opportunity to start over, to literally be born again. You know, a lot of times when our computers don't work right or the copier breaks down at Calvary Chapel schools, you, you give it a kick and you turn it off. I asked Jennifer, you know, everyone called Jennifer to fix things when she worked at Calvary Chapel School there, and, like, and they thought she had the magic touch. She basically did like three things. First, she prayed that God would fix it. Then she would usually kick it, and she'd turn it off and reboot it. And 80% of the reboots, it fixes. I had all these laptop problems. I went to Ryland, Captain Apple over there, and he's like, well, let's try this. He turned my laptop off, turned it back on, and then it worked. I was like, gosh, I mean, I could have done that, right? But it's like, the, and we need reboots, you know? We need, we need we're, and Adam all are born, all sin and all die. And we need the second Adam, Christ. And when we come to Christ, it's the reboot. We pass from death to life. It's like, we're starting all over again. It's a beautiful thing. And his mercies are new every morning. Once we're in Christ, we can get that reboot daily. But when you're like Zacchaeus, and you know what you should be doing, but you're not willing to do it, and then grace comes to you, it's grace that, that, and mercy that moves a heart. It's a wonderful story.
Zacchaeus is an amazing story. Like, I mean, a man who's controlled by his money, just looking at the Savior, calling him out of a tree, he's like giving it away. That's when you know when someone's born again, right? When someone's had an encounter with the Lord, a totally different nature. And that which owned him uh, doesn't own him at all. He's free. It's ironic. Jesus didn't say, give it all away, which he said to the rich young ruler. He just said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And he did give half of it away and then wanted to restore everything, he, everything and anything he'd ever done wrong. It's a beautiful story and it should encourage us. But Jesus made this key point that today's salvation has come to this house. Verse 9. And Zacchaeus was Jewish. He was a son of Abraham. The Jews all come from Abraham, ethnically. And in the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, then the Mosaic covenant. Abrahamic covenants, 2000 BC, when God made the covenant with Abraham, and made all the promises to him. And then from Abraham came the son of promise, Isaac, and then um, Jacob, and then the 12 tribes came from Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And Zacchaeus is in that genealogy. Somewhere in Chronicles, in those genealogies, Zacchaeus' relatives are there, floating down from one of those 12 tribes. And Jesus came to the nation of Israel, the gospel to the Jew first. He's the king of the Jews. And he fulfills their scriptures that they were entrusted with. And the religious leaders are rejecting him and condemning him, even as they're condemning Zacchaeus at the same time. And yet Zacchaeus is finding salvation, and Jesus makes this very clear proclamation. So yet again, Jesus is just meeting people where they're at, and drawing him to himself, which is what he was doing and is doing now through the Holy Spirit and through our lives. Because the ministry of the gospel is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's the sick that need a physician. And the gospel reaches out to bring people to Christ. So this was revolutionary in the thought process for so many people there. And that's why verse 11, it says, Now as they they saw and heard the things that took place with Zacchaeus, This is transitional, but it's connected to Zacchaeus. As they heard these things, what things? The things he just said, he spoke another parable. And a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he, because he was near Jerusalem, they thought he was going there to establish a kingdom like King David or something, that he's going to drive out the Romans and, and use his supernatural powers that they've all heard about and even seen just that week when he heal blind Bartimaeus and things like that. They think that he's going to go there and just go like, die, you know, and strike down the Romans. Now, he could have. Because remember, when they came for him in John's gospel, the, the, the soldiers came, the temple soldiers, and Jesus said to his apostles, could I just call down like 6,000 angels right now? And just, hmm? And when he said to those soldiers, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus, and they all fell down. Jesus could have expelled the Romans. He absolutely could have. He could have established the kingdom right then and there. He already demonstrated his authority over every realm of time, space, and matter because he's the Lord of time, space, and matter. But he's going to Jerusalem as this servant of all to give his life for the sins of the world in this first coming. That's why he's going to go in on the, the cult of the donkey. When he comes in the second coming, we're told in Revelation, he's on the conquering white horse. And we see that contrast between the two comings. Because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately, but it's not. So now we get into this parable, which is the crux of the matter tonight as we consider application. But in the historical context of this parable, we understand that Jesus is teaching an earthly story with a heavenly meaning contextually really for Israel right then and there, that generation, but really encompassing the church age as well. So we read on now and get to the heart of it for this evening. This is the parable, verse 12. 
Therefore he, Jesus said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. This is what Jesus did when he went to the cross and rose from the grave. He, the kingdom is his. Verse 13. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. Now the mina was a weight and a currency. It was both and took on different values depending on the timeline that you place your minas. But understand this, minas had monetary value and there were weights with monetary value. So he, in this parable, there's 10 servants of this nobleman and he delivers to them 10 minas. So this is very different than Matthew 25's parable of the minas where he gives the one five, gets 10, gives the one two, gets four, gives the one, and he buries it. It's different. It's a similar story, like a lot of things we see with Jesus, like the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 16, excuse me, Luke chapter 6, is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but there's distinctions and differences. The Lord's Prayer is slightly different in the two different accounts between Matthew and Luke. So here, it's a different change-up. It's 10 servants, they each get the same thing. It, it, it would be absolute equality in the distribution in this parable. And he said to them, do business till I come. So the nobleman's going away. He's entrusting something to each person, these 10 servants. And in this story, and you have to be careful with how literal you take parables, but there's principles. Each of the 10 gets one talent. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him. And of course, the Jews rejected Jesus as their king. Verse 14, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, well done, good good servant, because you are faithful in very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are a steward man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. You can see the limit of the parable right there because that certainly doesn't describe the character of God. And that's why we have to just consider that it's a parable with principles, So. Verse 22, and he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an uh, austere man, collecting what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to him who has 10 minas. But they said to him, master, he has 10 minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given and from him who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. But bring you those enemies of mine who did not want uh, me to reign over them and slay them before me. And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So here's a big transition for us in the Gospel of Luke because the next time we pick up this passage, it's Jerusalem. So when you look at the Gospels, it's everything up to Jerusalem and then it's the week in Jerusalem. So we're, we're, this, this kind of concludes this, this time in the Gospel of Luke in this segment we've been going through. Now, again, this is a parable, and the context would be Jesus is a nobleman. 
he has entrusted things. He entrusted the apostles. The, then that was, you know, passed on in the church age. And we're here tonight as an extension of what was entrusted to them and committed to them. And he has gone away to a far country. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and ever lives to intercede for us. He is coming to get in glory. That's clearly taught throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament. His return, the return of Christ, the second coming. And he's going to establish his reign on earth. It is interesting in the context of the parable. He says, do business. And his citizens hated him. And we've seen historically the rejection by the Jews of their king, Jesus the Jews. But we know from prophecies like Zechariah and others that they will um, respond to him. Many still respond to him, obviously. But nationally, there's going to be a turning to the Lord based upon what we see in the book of Revelation and other harmonious passages, which is not the point of the text tonight, but I bring that up just in passing. But something that gets my attention is that in the context of this parable, it's just worth mentioning that the one who got 10, and again, it's a contrast to the the minas in Matthew 25, which deal with the second coming of Christ, the good servant is given authority over 10 cities. And the other one is given authority over five cities. In other words, from what they showed in faithfulness, they were entrusted with authority and leadership over cities in this parable, over people. Now, it tells us in the Bible that when Jesus comes in glory with his saints, that we shall reign with him. It says we'll be like him in Colossians 3 and in 1 John 3, but it says that we will reign with him. And you say, well, what are we going to reign over? Well, I guess... Trust in Jesus and get to eternity under the blood and uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we'll find out. But if you harmonize Old Testament scriptures and the prophecies of Christ and the reign of Christ, he's gonna, this earth's going to get a, a redo. It's not the new heaven and new earth, but we know he comes, he splits the Mount of Olives. We know that living water flows from Jerusalem. We know that the Dead Sea is made alive. We know many things that the lion lays down with the lamb, the child plays with the cobra. We know that there is a a restoration of things that were lost in the fall in a post-flood world as well. But it's not the new heaven and new earth because it's the reign of Christ. And we know it would seem as we harmonize scripture that at the end of all things, like the end of the great tribulation period described in Revelation and other places in the Bible, that at the end of that, Christ comes there at Megiddo, at Armageddon, and we see people entering into the kingdom who are like us as we are now, but we see people coming with him in glory from heaven to be over the kingdom, over the millennial reign. And the details will play itself out, but here's a thought that crossed my mind uh, a few years back. Having committed a good portion of my life, uh, and as well as this church, in the prayers for the country of Chile and the ministry to Chile and being involved with coaching the Chilean National Olympic surf team and things like that, um, I had the most random thought one time in praying for Chile that where I felt discouraged in ministry, and even now we're still praying about Alex and Kaylee going to Chile as missionaries. We have many people we still follow in Chile. I looked at Jorge Oliva's post today on Instagram from Chile and uh, a new sister city for surfing with Vinya de Mar from Brazil. And I, people we know, we love, that we've invested in, we care about. We see Paula with the cancer, right, Alex? You know, and she's got the, you know, no hair right now and, and someone we love and care very much about. And we care about these people. And there was a time there in like 2016, I'm like, how are we ever going to reach these people? What's the ministry going to look like? What can we do? And we, we all think like that when we're trying to be used by the Lord to reach people. And this thought crossed my mind. 
that whatever we're giving in prayers and of ourselves for Chile, don't limit it to time, space, and matter what God might do for the people of Chile. Because God's working on eternity for the people of Chile. And then I had this thought, what if all those missionaries who went out in faith and sincerity to serve the Lord and lay down their lives in countries all over the world for the last 2,000 years, what if when the millennial reign comes, they come and they rule over those regions? I'm like, huh, the things you think about at 35,000 feet on a red-eye flight. Hmm. What if Jim Elliott rules over Ecuador? That would seem pretty just, wouldn't it? Concerning he laid down his life for the Aka Indians and didn't get to watch his daughter grow up and be with his wife and take care of her when she was dying of Alzheimer's? Hmm. What about like all these other people? All those missionaries went to Africa in the late 1800s, average lifespan six months. I wonder. I wonder. It's worth considering just because the context is the return of Christ. I don't make too much out of it. But in contrast to Matthew 25, where it says you're faithful in a few things, you know, and trust with more, it gives us just another detail that's a little more significant. So who's not to say Brian McDaniel won't rule over Haiti in the millennial reign, who we support with Cross the Light Ministry? Who's not to say Bobby Brown, who leads us in worship and has made eight trips to the Dominican Republic and given of himself and is going back at Christmas time to minister to women? Who's not to say Bobby Brown won't rule over Dominican Republic in a glorified body in the millennial reign? It's good to think outside the box in the balance of the scriptures, and it's a thought based upon this. And with that in mind, let's think about this passage for the rest of the night. Do business till I come. Oh, say that again, Pastor Joey. Because this is Jesus giving a parable. And the nobleman, who's clearly Christ, says to his servants, do business till I come. We might say, get after it. Make things happen. Don't talk about it. Do it. Do business till I come. It just jumps out at me, that phrase. And again, it's very different than the similar story in Matthew 24, the similar parable. Do business till I come. So I believe when the Lord is saying to the church in an application we can all lay hold of is, we should do business till he comes. We should do the Lord's business till he comes. We should be expanding that work of Christ in our life and through our life. We should be looking to fulfill our calling as best we can discern it from the Lord. We should be looking to exercise our practical gifts and spiritual gifts from the Lord as best we know how. We should be looking to be faithful in the stewardships that he has given each of us in this room as best we can discern them on this day and to diligently and passionately seek after him how we can do business more efficiently. It's the end of the year for a lot of companies. And what companies do at the end of the year is they evaluate, well, they take inventory and they evaluate good businesses, successful businesses. They evaluate what went well, what went wrong. They compare sales numbers from the year before to the last year. And then they compare that to trends in their industry, how that might look for other uh, rival companies. In other words, are they down? Is everybody down in this industry, like oil, for example? Or are we just down because we don't, have, we don't candidly evaluate ourselves to grow and do a better job in our company, right? See, if you're in the oil business, everybody's down. But if you're in the toy business, Jeffrey's gone, the giraffe, 
but there's still people making toys and selling them on Amazon, right? So businesses evaluate how they do business and how to do it more efficiently and more effectively. It's, the, it's human nature. It's the human way to make things more efficient. So when the, in this parable, do, do business till I come. To me, that's the Lord saying to the church, do the work of the ministry until I come and be found faithful. And Jesus himself said, who is that faithful servant whom his master will find when he comes? We want to be about the Lord's business when he comes. We want to be found faithful. Now, a a few months ago, we had the similar passage back in like chapter 15, where we talked about um, our, our accountability, giving an account. Remember the steward had to give an account? And we talked about accountability. That's not so, I mean, while that's here in this passage, that's not so much what really is the heart of what I want to share tonight in this. It's just, it's the doing. The accounting will come later. When we're we're gone and we step into eternity, the accounting will come. But today, this is the day of the doing. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.